0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Restoration Nazarene Church, where we encourage you to be the gospel today so that you can share the gospel tomorrow. Have you ever noticed the different ways that people walk? Like... I, the weather has been so nice this week that that we've been um, able to walk to pick up the girls from school. The school's not too far from our home, and so we've <clears throat> we've been walking. and as I was walking one day, I was watching all the other people that were walking, and i was I was noticing the different ways that people walk, which then got me to think about all the different ways that people walk out there. And, and you see them, like you got the speed walker, you know, that's just really quick. And then you got the gym guy that just kind of like arms out. And then the, the professor that has that inquisitive look. And then the one that I see most of the time is the high schooler, right? They just walk facing their phone, not staring at the world at all. And as I was thinking about these things, our walk reveals so much of who we are we can quickly tell the difference. In, in a child, as we look at child, uh, children, we can tell the difference rather quickly between one that has just learned how to walk and is still kind of toddling everywhere versus one that has been walking for a while. And you can also tell, like, if somebody walks with their, their chest out and their head high, making eye contact with everybody, you can assume that they have a lot of self-confidence, that, that they are confident in who they are, and they have a a lot of respect and so they give you respect in return but then there are some people who maybe they're shy maybe they're nervous but they they walk and they kind of they don't make eye contact their head is bowed maybe they're slouching a little bit they don't have as much self-confidence in themselves you can look at the way that people walk and you can begin to to learn a lot about those People and the same with how people dress. Like, if you saw, for example, you saw somebody running down the street with headphones on, wearing shorts and an athletic shirt, you can probably guess rather quickly that they are exercising. But if you saw somebody running down the street in a full business suit carrying a briefcase, you wouldn't assume that they are exercising. You would assume that they are running late. The way that you dress and the way that you walk or run can reveal a lot of information about either who we are or what we are doing or what we plan to do in the future. In the business world, they always say that you should dress for success. You've heard that phrase before, dress for success. Or they'll, they'll say dress for the position that you want. If you want to be promoted into this position, then you should dress like that Position And they mean more than wearing the same clothes that that position has. What they mean by, by dresses is that you should act like the person above you or rather walk the way that they walk. And the same is true spiritually. The way that we spiritually walk in the way that we spiritually dress reveals who we are and what we are doing. And so my question for you this morning is, does your walk align with what Jesus is calling you to do? We've been in Ephesians for the last few weeks and and as we've been looking through Ephesians, we see that Paul spends so much time talking about our walk and talking about the good works that we have each been called to do. And last week we looked in, in chapter three, we looked at how Paul tells us to live or rather walk. He says in verse two of chapter four, sorry, not chapter three, verse two of chapter four, he says that we must walk a life Worthy of the calling that we have received. So, does your walk align with the calling that you have received? When somebody looks at you, can they quickly determine that you are a Christian living out the mission of God? That has been Paul's focus in Ephesians. Paul's desire is for us to walk worthy of the calling that we have received, that we would do the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. And we're in the second half of chapter four today. But before we jump in, let me provide just a quick Overview of what we have covered so far. I know several of you have been gone for for several weeks. And then we also have, again, like half of the church is gone today. Many are sick, others are gone for work. And so I know that many of you are joining us online today. So I wave and say, hello. I'm excited to see you all together in one place next week. So see you next week. And so since we've all been kind of sporadic here, let me give you a quick overview of what we have covered so far in Ephesians. The first part of of Ephesians chapter one through the middle of four is what we've been covering so far. And, And this section, this half of Ephesians is very theological. It has all of these big ideas and these big concepts. And Paul spends most of the time explaining to us what Christ has done for us in the past as a way to help us understand why we are called to live a certain way. He says things like, because of God's goodness, we should give him praise. Because God has saved us, we should We should live in unity together as a spiritual house. Because we are called and equipped by God, we should live out that calling by following the example of Christ. Because God has shared this gift of salvation with us, we should continue to share that gospel message with other people. And I want you to notice the way that Paul does this cause and effect in the way that he's describing this. He starts with what God has already done first, and then the effect or the result is how we respond. And we see the same thing in the Old Testament. We can look at the Israelite nation of how God saves the Israelites from slavery first. And then after they have been set free, then God calls them to live and walk a life of Holiness. He doesn't go to the Israelites. He doesn't send Moses there and say, Hey, I'll set you free, but only if you can prove to me that you can walk this holy life first. Once you have walked a holy life for so many years, then I will set you free. God doesn't do that. Instead, God does the work first, He saves them. First, And then out of his saving, out of his gift that he has given them, then he calls as the effect or the result for them to now follow God. It's because God loved us first that we today respond back in love. It is because Christ died for our sins on the cross in the past that we repent of those sins and we walk a life of holiness in response to to him. Again, the first part of Ephesians is all about the why or or the motive of what it means to belong to the church, the, the body of Christ. The why, again, is because of all that God has done for us in the past. Our why is because of that. These are all of the reasons that we should live holy lives and now as we begin the the second half of Ephesians we're going to see now an emphasis placed on our response that was our why because God did all of this we now respond to it and so God or Paul will focus heavily on our response or rather the way that we practically live or practically walk we, we will see this heavy emphasis on what it means to live like God Christ or rather what it means to be the gospel as we say here at restoration what it actually means to live worthy of the calling that we have received the second part gets very practical and applicable to our lives again But it's important to remember that our lens for looking at this, our lens for understanding all the practical advice that Paul is going to give us, that he's going to call us to live by, our lens, our perspective is what Jesus has already done for us in the past. We live and walk a certain way as the body of Christ today because of what God had already done for us. We're in Ephesians 4. Starting in verse 17, Paul says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The, the problem that Paul is addressing here is the way that people are living. In verse 17, Paul says that they must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And that word live that we have in our English translation or the NIV translation can also be translated as Walk, And so Paul is saying that Christians cannot and should not walk like Gentiles do. And this language of walk has been a big emphasis at the beginning of Ephesians. We we see in chapter 2 verses 1 through 2 where where Paul says that dead in your transgressions and sin, you used to walk in the ways of the world. Verse 8 and 10 of chapter 2, but by God's grace... We have been created in Christ Jesus to walk in good works. Chapter four, one through three. Therefore, you are to walk worthy of your calling. And then again here in chapter 17, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Paul is saying that we can no longer walk as Gentiles. We may no longer walk as the ways of this world. Instead, we must walk in good works, that we walk worthy of our calling. But more importantly, what Paul is telling us here is that it's not a choice. Paul is not asking us politely to consider a new way of life. Paul is commanding us. He says again in verse 17, he says, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. And I know those English words don't sound very powerful or strong, but in Greek, these are really strong words. They are commands. They They are orders. Paul, he's pulling his rank and he is dropping the name of the Lord in order to tell us how serious this command is. It is not an option. We don't get to choose if we want to do this or if we don't want to. It is a command that we must follow if we are going to be considered disciples of Christ. As the old cliche goes, we can't just talk the talk. We must also walk the walk. And this command again is that we don't walk as the Gentiles, but instead we do walk as Jesus does. And then Paul gives us an overview of how the Gentiles walk. And he'll give us more specific examples later in the passage that we'll look at next week. But for now, he gives us this overview. And the beginning of that overview comes at the end of verse 17 when he says that in the futility of their thinking. Futility means like uselessness, failure, worthlessness, or or foolishness. Another English translation reads, their thoughts are worth nothing. Paul, he gets straight down to the root issue here, and the root issue is their mind. It is the way that they think, the way that they process. It is their perspective, our twins are now in that peekaboo phase. You know that peekaboo phase where, where you can cover your face with your hands and it's like you have completely disappeared and then you reveal yourself and they're like, oh, there you are, we thought you left us. And they get so excited because their minds don't understand that you can hide behind something and still physically be there. They, they don't have object permanence yet. And so because of the way that their minds work, when they can't see you, it means that you physically are not there with them, again, in their minds. Eventually, the twins, their brains will develop further and they will understand that an object can exist when you cannot see it. It can still exist behind this hidden thing. They'll, they'll begin to understand all of that. But for now, they're, they're limited in their thinking and their understanding. And this is what Paul is doing describing. The root issue is the way that the Gentiles are thinking. They are limited in their thinking. They don't quite understand. The problem is the way that they are thinking. Paul says in verse 18, he says that they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Again, the main issue is their perspective, the way that they are thinking. And then Paul gives us two reasons to why their thinking is just worthless. The first is because they are darkened in their understanding. The Gentiles don't yet have the benefit of the divine light. And so they do all of their reasoning in the dark. They are limited in their minds and it's like that they are working in in the dark, they are thinking and, and doing, making decisions, but it is in the dark. I mentioned that the twins don't have object permanence yet, which is limiting them, which then is even worse when they are in the dark. One of the mornings this week, I was up early with the twins. And so I decided that I was gonna take one of the boys and and I would go wake up Amy, go wake up mommy, right? And so I took one of the the boys with us and I walked into our bedroom, which in the morning we got those blackout curtains. So it is pitch black inside of our bedroom. And so I opened the door, we can't see anything. My eyes have yet to adjust, but I know where the the bed is. And so I walk up and I'm holding the baby. And by then Amy hears us. And so she wakes up and her eyes, adjust much quicker because she's been sleeping. And so she sees me and she sees the baby and she goes, oh, hi, baby. And and the baby's like, "Where?" I hear mommy, but I can't see her. And now I like get him, like we're inches away from Amy's face and he's still like looking back and forth. And Amy continues, hi, baby. Hi, Josiah, I see you, I'm right here. But he has absolutely no idea where she is. She can't figure out what is going on. He's already limited in his understanding because he doesn't understand that if he can't see something that it can still exist there. So he's already limited, but now he's in the dark and he's even more limited because of the darkness that is around him. And this is what Paul is describing, that these Gentiles, not only are they limited in their thinking, but now they're also in the dark. They don't have all of the information They can't see everything that they need to see. And so the Gentiles continue to make mistakes. They continue to make bad decisions because they are without the light. They are without the truth. And we know that the only way to overcome darkness is with light. I could have turned on all of the lights and then mommy would have magically appeared. Light is what overcomes the darkness, which is why Paul, if we back up to chapter 1 verse 18, Paul prayed that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. Enlightened means to, to gain a new outlook. Think of it like being in the dark and then turning on the lights and now you see things differently. You have a new outlook. This is what Paul has been praying for. Again the first issue or rather the root issue is the way that they are thinking and then this the reason that they are limited in their thinking is also because they're in the dark and the second issue is similar to this. He says because they are separated from the life of God. God, because they are without the light of divine revelation and and this saving knowledge of God, their thinking was not only in the dark, but it's also separated from the life of God. And again, Paul gives us two reasons that they are separated from God. He says, first, it's because of the ignorance that is in them, meaning it was their own choice. And Paul said this earlier in chapter two, verse two, he says that they chose to follow the ways of the world instead of following God. These people that they refused to know and accept the truth of God. God did not withhold his light from them, but rather these individuals, they chose to ignore it. They chose to remain in their ignorant state. And so now they are in this darkness and separated from the life of God. And second, it was because of the hardening of their hearts. Their consciences were we're increasingly unable to convince them that they are wrong. We all know that we have the holy spirit that will convict us of our sins, but as our heart gets hardened, it's harder for things to penetrate through that. This gentile group, they they have numbed themselves to who God is. They have refused to obey what they know and their hearts become blocked, which means it's even more difficult for them to break Free. And again, Paul is saying that their thinking is limited and faulty. They are living in the dark. They are not seeing the light and they are refusing to step into the light. So instead, they choose to remain in the dark and they choose to remain in the dark by following the ways of the world. And as they continue to follow the ways of the world, they step further into darkness, further away from the life of God, which causes their hearts to get harder and more calloused. And then Paul says in verse 19, he says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. This is the consequence for ignoring truth. They have become so calloused, so hardened, that they have given themselves over to whatever their hearts desire, to whatever passions or desires they have, that they they just give themselves over to it and do whatever seems to make them happy, which then just causes them to be filled with more greed. And you can see this cycle here of, of instead of choosing the truth that is found in God, they choose to follow the ways of the world. And this choice causes them to remain in the dark and continue to do whatever gives them the most satisfaction, which causes more separation from God and more darkness in their life, more chaos, more hardening of their hearts. And the the root of all of this, again, is because their thinking is Flawed, and in their flawed and corrupt minds, they are walking around in the dark, walking the opposite direction of God. But Paul says that as Christians, we can no longer live like this, we can no longer live this way. And I wish it were different in our world today. I wish it were easy to look out into the world and watch somebody walk down the street and say, they're a Christian. They're not a Christian yet. They're a Christian. They're a Christian. That that, that group there, they, they don't know Jesus yet. And you can quickly identify them, but that's... Not the case. Many people that claim to be a Christian still have this problem of living like the Gentiles do. It's hard often to distinguish between a Christian and a non-Christian. And let me tell you, that's a problem. That is a problem. It should be an easy distinction between a Christian and a non-Christian, but yet it is not, especially within our culture. I had a neighbor a few years ago ask me how old I was. We we were outside and I was doing something in the yard. And so she comes up, she goes, you know, I have a a weird question. I've known you for a little while, but how old are you? And so I, I responded and then she responds back to me and says, wow, I thought you were at least 10 years older than you are because you're my age. And, I, and I, I've been watching you and your wife and your kids and, and, and you just seem so mature, so put together, so like organized and yet here I am a mess living in chaos. I can't get a handle on my life. I'm, I'm just falling apart all of the time. I would have imagined that you were 10 years older than me. And what this neighbor was describing without realizing that they were describing it, is the difference between being a follower of Christ and being a follower of the world. Now, I'm not saying that being a Christian means that we are perfect or that we can't have bad days or that we can't be a mess sometimes, but there is a clear difference in the temperament or the actions of a mature disciple of Christ versus someone that is not following Jesus. And to my neighbor that meant that we are mature and we're not a mess. But in reality the difference is just that I know where our hope comes from. And I know that we no longer live as people that party, that, that give ourselves over to whatever our hearts may desire. We don't indulge in the ways of the world because all of those ways lead to destruction and chaos and mess. And so because we are choosing to walk and live in the light of Christ, it means that we can see. It means that we can reason well. It means that we can actually walk worthy of the calling that we have received. Someone who is walking Walking in the dark, they can't see well, which means that they can't make good choices, that they can't reason well. They are going to continue to trip and fall all over the place and they will continue to make bad decisions where eventually they can't even tell what side is up because they are so far in the dark. Paul says that we cannot live this way. We cannot live as Gentiles do. We cannot continue to act as the fallen world around us does. Instead, we must walk as Christ. We must accept the answer, the salvation that is Jesus. We must accept this new way of living and this new way of walking. Paul says in verse 20 through 21, He says that, talking about the Gentile way of life, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Another way to to translate these verses is, you did not become disciples of Christ in this way. Meaning that once we choose to follow Christ, we then learn a new correct way of living, which is required as disciples of Christ. It's not an option. It is a requirement, a command. Paul is saying that the Ephesians, they know better. He is calling them out and he is saying, hey guys, you've been a church now for 10 years. I was with you at the beginning. Now I'm hearing all of these rumors of the way that you are living. You know better. Grow up and start acting like Christians. And he continues verse 22 and 24. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is telling us that that we must take off our old way of living, our old way of walking and embrace the new self, embrace the new way of Walking The old life is like old, dirty, and ruined clothes that are continually being being dirtied or corrupted. So we must take them off and just throw them away. And Paul says the way that we do that, the way that we take off our old self, our old clothes, is by being renewed in the attitude of our minds, by being made new in our minds. Again, Paul started off as the problem with the Gentile way of living was it was a mind issue. It was a way that they are thinking. They are corrupted and darkened in their mind, which is leading to a corrupt and darkened lifestyle. So the way to solve this problem is a new way of thinking. We need new minds, a new way to walk. And this new mindset leads to a new way of walking, which is the way that Christ Walked, And as we walk like Christ, with this new mindset, we will, verse 24, we will be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We replace our old, inappropriate passions and pursuits with new ones in Christ. We are called to reflect nothing less than the likeness of God where we become what God had created humans to be in the first place, where we walk as Christ would walk. People should immediately recognize us by the way that we walk, by the way that we live, by the way that we act. They should look at us and say, oh, they follow Jesus. Now, had I been smarter at the time that my neighbor pointed out the difference in our lives, I would have responded to her and said that the difference is not maturity. The difference is not anything that I have done, that the difference is just that I know and love and follow Jesus. And you can have that too. Unfortunately, I I wasn't smarter at the time. I didn't realize what she was describing until many months later. But the truth is that anyone can choose to walk the right path. As we continue to walk like Christ, we will continue to be renewed and transformed in our mind, which will allow our hearts to be enlightened to see the truth, which means that we will no longer live or walk in the darkness. We will no longer be separated from the life of Christ, but rather we will be connected to him. What Paul is ultimately describing here is sanctification. It's, it's a transformation of our minds through the power of the Holy Spirit. When we take off our old clothes, our old way of walking, and we surrender to God, then the Holy Spirit can take over and begin the work of transforming our minds. And God offers this to all people. God is the one that does the work of transforming our lives or transforming the ways that we walk. Once we remove the old clothes, then God redresses us in the new clothes. And the end goal here in this passage from verse 24 is to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The end goal is that we as individual Christians would walk like Jesus would walk in a way that we reflect God in everything that we do. As we say here at Arnaz, it means that we be and share the gospel in everything that we say and do. And again, this is not a choice. That This is not just an option or one way that we could live as Christians if we want to. Being a disciple of Christ is not something where we can sit down at a table like a restaurant and we can get a menu and say, oh, oh, I like this way of living, so I'll take that one. I'll, I'll take this one. I'll do this one on special occasions like on Christmas and Easter. I'll live this way. But the rest, no, I, I'm not going to do that. I'll, I'll make my own creation, my own meal here. It doesn't work that way. It's all or nothing. It's a command. It is a requirement for us to accept all of it, to embrace all of who God is, to embrace all of the ways to walk as Jesus would walk. Paul is saying that we must stop living as the world around us and we must start living as Jesus. We must remove all of our old clothes and put on all of the new clothes that are found in Jesus. It means that we must do the work of letting go of the sin in our lives, which Paul says that that's what keeps sending us down this spiral of bad choices and darkness. I I imagine a dark alley, like where where we start walking down a street and the street is lit up at nighttime. We have a clear idea of where we're headed, but then we see this dark alleyway over here. And inside of this dark alleyway is is something that you desire, something that you want. And it's different for everybody. And so you, you look and you say, well, the street's right here what's the harm in me stepping down this alleyway just for a moment to indulge in this thing that I really want, I really desire. So you walk into this alleyway and you take advantage of whatever it is and you look back and you say, well, the street's still here. I know where it is. And and you're about to go back, but then you look further into the alleyway and you see more of what you desire. And you're like, well, I can still see. So you take another step and you start indulging in this desire and then you take another step another, and another. And pretty soon you are so far gone from the street that you can't even see the light anymore. You are just further and further into darkness. And before you know it, there is no light around at all. The problem is that the the things that we desire are not always physical things that we can see and touch. This analogy kind of breaks down if we say, oh, well, well, well I don't desire this physical thing anymore. I don't desire money. I don't desire these, these narcotics or these substances. I, I, I'm done with those, so don't worry about that. The problem is that things that we desire can often be things that we can't even see or touch. Things like gossip. There's something so satisfying in our broken human nature to gossip and to talk about other people. And we see this desire to gossip, to, to share our opinions about how, could you see how that person dressed? Did you see what that person did? Like, oh my goodness, let me call my friend and tell them so we can just gossip and live in this place. That is stepping into the darkness. Paul will outline more of these as we look at next week, but, but he'll say things like bitterness, anger, holding grudges, lying and stealing, greed and jealousy, even inappropriate joking or using profanity. These are things that send us down this alleyway and we may not even realize that we are getting darker and darker until it is too late. But if God, if he were unloving, if he were unkind, he would give you what you deserve. He would let you stay lost forever down that dark alleyway because it was your own choice. It was your own fault. You made the choice. You made the steps. You decided to walk away from me so you get what you deserve. But we all know that that's not who God is. Even though someone may be completely lost in darkness, there is always a way out, If we are willing to open our eyes, we will see that even in the darkness of an alley, that somewhere there is a small light, a small ladder that allows you to climb up above the darkness to, to step back into that light. And again, Paul has said this throughout the entire time that, that God is the one that takes the initiative. God is the one that acts First, God is the one that gives us his spirit to give us his grace, his power, his light. He is the one that acts first, not because we deserve it, but because of his love for us, he acts first and gives us these things to empower us to follow Jesus. He empowers us to step out of the darkness and back into the light. But we are still responsible to do that work of stepping out. God won't force us. He'll give us that light. He'll reach out his hand and say, here I am. Just take my hand and then we will do this, but he won't force us to do it. We are still responsible to cooperate with God and what God is doing in our lives. We are still responsible for walking like Jesus for removing the old and dirty corrupted way of living and when we make that choice to surrender to God whether it's the first time that we have ever surrendered or if we're beginning to realize that even though we have surrendered in the past we're hiding some of our old clothes in our pockets or or under our shirts we're still wearing our old undershirt that's hidden that nobody else can see whether it's our first time surrendering or we are beginning to surrender surrender even more clothes that have been hidden, when we choose to surrender to God, he will fill us with the Holy Spirit. He will continue to empower and equip us to walk the way of Christ, to walk worthy of the calling that we have received. And so my question is, are you walking like Jesus? Are you walking a life that is worthy of the calling that you have received. In a moment, we're gonna pray. And I want you to think about that question Are you walking worthy of? Jesus, worthy of the calling that you have received. I want you to think about that question. Think about things that that you may be holding on to from your old life, things that may be hidden or might be well open for the world to see, things that are causing you to go further into the darkness, which we all know lead farther and farther into the pain and suffering in the world. And as those things come to your mind, or rather if they come to your mind, I would encourage you to surrender those to God. Just metaphorically hold them out in your hands and say, okay, God, here they are. Take them from me and then let God fill you with the Holy Spirit. And if you are ready to surrender and walk in that way of Christ, then begin to pray for God to move in a different way. Pray with me. God, in this moment, I ask that you would reveal ways that we are walking that are not good. Father, reveal the the desires that keep leading us down darker and darker paths. Reveal to us pieces of our old life that we might be holding on to. Reveal to us ways of thinking that are of the old world, not our new self. God, we offer these to you. Take them from us. Throw them away so we may never participate again. Fill us with your spirit. Empower us, equip us to do your works. God, I'm so thankful that you take the initiative first, that you don't require me to live and act a certain way before you will love me, but that you chose to love me while I was still a sinner, that you chose to send your son to die on a cross for me, that while I was still a sinner, you chose God, thank you. I praise you for your goodness. God, you are doing a a wonderful thing in our church. God, I see the way that you are moving in people's lives, the way that that you are convicting people of their sin, convicting people of the way that that they need to let go of in their old life. God, thank you for that. Thank you for the opportunities to do the hard work of chiseling out our lives so that we can be formed into your image. God, I thank you for what you are preparing us to do. I know that you are preparing our ground, which is hard work, which hurts, but you are preparing us for your seed, for your fruit. God, I I ask that we would be ready. Help us be ready for what it is that you have planned through us. Equip us encourage us, and empower us. God, you are wonderful, and we pray all of this in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love to continue the conversation and connect with you. Comment, like, subscribe, follow us on the socials at rnazchurch or our website, rnaz.church.